0: This is In Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of In Focus brings you in depth analysis and perspective from a different corner of our global network of experts.
1: basically a new way of thinking about growth which we've been hearing about for years and years and years, you know, less emphasis on just rapid GDP growth rates and more emphasis on quality of growth, innovation, sustainability, more balanced and equitable growth, all these things are captured in this new development philosophy.
0: The annual session of China's National People's Congress began on the 5th of March in Beijing, sometimes called the Lianghui this session will be outlining China's 14th five-year plan. I'm talking with Andy Gilholm, our head of analysis for Asia and for China, to tell us exactly what that means for China's industrial policy, for multinationals, and for Xi Jinping. Okay, Andy. Great to have you with us today coming live from Korea. We know at the end of the week coming up is going to be on the 5th of March is going to be the two sessions, as they call it, in China, the annual Yanghui. and the big theme this year is going to be, of course, the 145 five-year plan. So tell us what we need to be looking for. And in an economy like China's today, does it really matter that they have a five-year plan of any kind?
1: Thanks, Dane. Well, as you know, We all get very excited when it's time for the the National People's Congress (laughs) and the five-year plan. It's World Cup final time for for China analysts. But more seriously, I think we do tend to get pretty jaded about these things, right? Because they come around every year in the case of the the MPC. And every five years, obviously, in the case of the five-year plan, every time you know, we, we get a lot of questions about what's going to be in the plan with this kind of perception that, When there's a five-year plan, it's kind of like we get a whole load of new detailed answers about, you know, what's China going to do? Whereas, in fact, most of what comes out is not anything that I think we would call a plan. And a lot of the more significant plans come out later in the year with regional level and, and industry level plans and plans that are specific to a particular policy issue or kind of mission in the case of something like environmental goals, something like that. So it tends to be kind of a big build-up and then a bit of a damp squib when nobody's really much wiser afterwards than beforehand. And that'll be the same again this year. You know, most of what we know about the five-year plan comes from a set of proposals that were issued at the start of November last year after the party's fifth plenum. And basically a very, very long document, 90-something percent of which reiterates and repackages existing policies in pretty broad, kind of aspirational terms. There's not a lot in the way of targets, except things that were already known, things like commitments last year to carbon neutrality by 2060, a few things like that, a few few pointers. We'll get more than that next week when the final plan is released, or at least an outline of it is announced. But, you know, it's not going to be all the answers. So it's it's tempting to kind of think none of this matters. It's just political theory, uh, sorry, political theater and quite a bit of theory as well. And some images on the TV of of delegates caught sleeping during long speeches and the government work reports and this kind of thing. Obviously, it does matter. And I guess one way to think of it is a bit like a a sort of Communist Party version of a, a corporate planning document or a webinar setting out, you know, kind of top level messaging, it's not going to reveal the detailed business plans, but it gives you, you know, the key themes, the top line targets, and all of the other planning comes within that, you know, it sets the tone, it gives you the direction. So it, it is important, and we will be able to pick things out of it. It's a bit of a cliche, you know, the idea of long term, Beijing thinks long term and strategically, and nobody else does. But there's some truth to it and we kind of see that now with what we're going to get from the five-year plan. There's a lot of very long-term planning in there as well as the 2021 plans that will come out of the MPC. They've had all these goals for 2021 and Xi Jinping has declared or will declare that there's going to be, basically China's entering a new development stage as of this year and all these 2021 targets have been Met to varying degrees, and now we're going to get not just the five year plan but targets for 2035. Again, probably very vague aspirational principles rather than real plans, and then already you know targets for 2049, which is the 100th anniversary of the founding of the PRC.
0: So, you and the team wrote a note about the five year plan recently. And in that uh, section, you titled the three, she's three news in traditional Chinese fashion, always pairing things or making them a, a, an order of three. One was what you just mentioned, the new developmental stage um, that's kind of starts this year and runs through 2049, the 100th anniversary of the PRC. And part of that is the kind of the new developmental paradigm featuring as you say, the dual circulation, which has been in the news quite a lot over the past year plus, which kind of puts the domestic economy at the forefront and kind of the mainstay of the main economic driver, let's put it that way, and and everything that goes with that. And that's been, I guess, a source of concern, potentially a lightning rod for criticism for for some in the outside in the West, and particularly in the United States, in terms of expanding the role of the state in setting economic goals and targets and restrictions that would foster certain industries, basically China's industrial policy. Is that fair? And should foreign companies, depending on their sector, should they be worried by that?
1: In terms of the perception, I think that's certainly fair and accurate, yes. So, I mean very briefly those three news, the three components of the of Xi Jinping's new development concept. There's like we talked about the the new development stage and that's kind of important, you know, using the centennials the 2021 anniversary of the Communist Party's founding and the 2049 PRC founding anniversary. These are kind of setting the the, the frame and I think that framing that Xi Jinping is emphasizing is, I guess, stating this historical mission. And I think there's a bit of a, to some extent, I guess it's a rallying cry, if you like. There's a lot of, you know, patriotic uh, sentiment appeals with, you know, the, the mission of rejuvenation, you know, make China great again, as we've we've called it before. And um, I think emphasizing the party's role in, you know, what has been achieved since 1949, what has been achieved recently and, you know, the party leading the way to achieve all these new goals for decades to come. I think that's, you know, quite an important framing and sort of mission statement. And then there's the the new development philosophy, which is, seems to me, basically like repackaging uh, uh, and framing a whole bunch of existing policy priorities, basically a new way of thinking about growth, which we've been hearing about for years and years and years, you know, less emphasis on just rapid GDP growth rates, and more emphasis on quality of growth, innovation, sustainability, more balanced and equitable growth, all these things are captured in this new development philosophy, which isn't just semantics. I think there is some increased political weight behind some of that now, particularly when it comes to the environmental goals, for example. And then this new development paradigm, which captures the the dual circulation concept, which brings us to the main part of your question. And I think if you look at the what Xi Jinping himself and Liu He, his kind of chief economic brains, have been saying about this recently and what ministers have been saying in in press briefings leading up to the MPC starting this week, they're clearly at pains to stress that this is not a kind of autarkic turn inwards or sealing themselves off from the international economy. And a lot of what we'll see in the five-year plan is still very heavily stressing you know, opening up and and reform and market-oriented reform and the whole idea of dual circulation as it talks about the domestic and international circulation. And Xi Jinping has described this as not choosing domestic over international, but opening both further and better integrating them and having more emphasis on on the domestic economy. But apart from the semantics, I think... Most certainly in the U.S. and a lot of other foreign capitals and for a lot of foreign companies, I think the bottom line is this is a substantial shift in emphasis towards the domestic economy, which was already happening. So the idea of more self-reliance on domestic capabilities in technology, reducing vulnerability to U.S. export controls and all these other measures that we saw Become part of the U.S. toolkit for dealing with China under the the Trump administration, most of which it looks like are going to remain in the the toolkit under the new administration. You know, China's been responding to that for for a long time already, and I think 2019, 2020, we just saw them doubling down on that, and the five-year plan, this this new development paradigm, will reflect that. So I think it's going to be a bit confusing for foreign companies because there will be genuine examples of continuing reform and increased market access in certain areas efforts to make sure that foreign investors and multinationals still feel welcome etc etc that's part of the plan keeping i think the government recognizes that china's benefited greatly from international trade and you know integration in global supply chains and is not throwing that out of the window and clearly you know when you look at how fast China is growing compared to the rest of the world this year it's going to be very appealing in a lot of sectors you know some of which have a lot of policy support to continue growing some of these priority areas where foreign investment is still needed so this huge opportunities there and it's going to look again in relative global terms too good to resist in a lot of ways for quite a while to come but I think putting it crudely the dual circulation the doubling down on these self-reliance goals is kind of putting a ticking clock on the opportunity for, for a lot of companies where with huge variations between individual companies or industries there's a limited window of opportunity because ultimately, in a lot of cases, the you know the objective is to not really need these foreign companies anymore. so however much there's a commitment to continuing market openness and recognizing that they can't completely get rid of global supply chains and do everything in China, I think it's hard to get away from the direction which, as I say, kind of put a sort of finite or at least decreasing window of opportunity there which companies have to be very realistic about even as they see all these opportunities in in the coming year.
0: Yeah, it was kind of a sell by date, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you touched upon the US China relationship in there and we've been saying for a long time that probably wasn't gonna get a whole lot better under a new US administration. Maybe the atmospherics would be slightly different and more institutional and kind of more traditional. But the issues that separate China and the U.S. have not gone away and are not going to go away in the short term and are really, in many cases, kind of unresolvable (laughs) if you think about it. I think about some of them anyway. And I think we should touch upon the the fact that this year is uh, an important year for China because it is, as you already said, the anniversary of the party. And that's always a big thing. So that will come in July. And it's kind of kicking off Xi Jinping's reselection campaign, if you will, because he's going to go for a third term, right, as general secretary and president, which is unique, hasn't happened before. So in a way, this year is super important for him. He's probably, my guess would be, he's not going to be probably super willing to look, well, no Chinese leader can ever look kind of weak against foreign adversaries, but particularly this year, Isn't he going to want to look stronger than ever, given everything that's happening and given, in fact, that he wants to get another term?
1: Yes, you would think so, wouldn't you? And that it seems a long way off, but I think that 2022 Party Congress, which will be sometime towards the end of 2022, probably October, is already starting to loom. So, you know, 2021 is a big year, as you mentioned, with the, the 100th anniversary of the party founding and the five year plan coming out but in some ways 2022 is a is is a much bigger milestone politically and then you've also got talking about the external situation again you've also got the Beijing Winter Olympics in 2022 which is already becoming a bit of a lightning rod for US but also several other countries criticism of of China on on human rights issues and i think you'll see um the Olympics become a um, a very sensitive issue, and you know another one of these topics on which you know governments are sort of under pressure from Beijing and Washington and and their own internal politics to to kind of line up on one side or the other. Companies might be struggling with that before long as well, because you know whether it's sponsorship or other forms of participation, I think that's going to be a tricky one. But the with the Congress coming up, it's a tough one because things are so opaque at the highest levels of elite politics in China that you, you just really don't know um, what what's happening behind the scenes. And for a long time now, you know, the, there's been occasional rumors of sort of bubbling resentment and, and criticism of she under this under the surface but we've just never really seen any evidence of anything that was significant enough to derail or greatly constrain him in getting the the, the kind of outcome and, and power arrangements, personnel arrangements that he wants beyond 2022. Um, there must still be some, you know, some form of the, the kind of give-and-take that's always been there um, in, in top-level politics, but we're not seeing much of it, and, and right up until the Congress next year we probably won't, you know, know what's happened or, or what the outcomes will be. But it certainly does seem like it's going to end up with this unprecedented third term and and maybe beyond, and in the meantime, as you said, you know, there's, there's going to be a very strong incentive to keep everything, whether it's the economy, external relations, and of course, domestic politics, very much on the straight and narrow and give no sense of of instability. And that's, you know, a long period under economically some of the most challenging circumstances in decades to, to keep that kind of smooth surface. So... I think we're going to see difficult trade-offs with all these contradictions in in key policy areas. You know, the trying to crack down on financial risk and, you know, excessive leverage and debt, but also not wanting to trigger any kind of market instability or, or bank runs or anything that, that are going to look bad in, in that period. And then externally, f- for a long time, I think a lot of China watchers based on perhaps you know pre-Xi assumptions have expected that sooner or later from a global perspective the kind of damage that China has done to its own image in a lot of countries in the last couple of years has made a lot of people think I think that at some point China will rein it in, they'll tone down the rhetoric, they'll shift to a more conciliatory stance with a lot of particularly with third countries that they're trying to break off from the U.S. or prevent from aligning too closely with the U.S. And there's always an element of that in in China's approach, of course. We're not really seeing any kind of softening at at every juncture where you think it might come. They seem to stick to this path of very strong assertiveness. And I think, you know, given those domestic pressures that we talked about, We'll probably see that continue in the coming year. And when it comes to, to businesses, there's a little bit of an exception to, to that in that, in some ways, Beijing's kind of been softer on businesses than it has on, on governments. And some companies, some Australian companies, for example, would obviously disagree with that. And there's, there's exceptions. But if you look at all the tools that China's been sitting on or has has developed without really using, you know, unreliable entities list, new export control law, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot more potentially to come. So I think where we see the the domestic and external drivers lining up is that, I think China is not going to just sit around for another year and wait for the Biden administration to, to kind of figure out what it's going to do with China policy meanwhile, continuing to, to keep in place all the restrictions and tariffs and export controls brought in by the Trump administration. So at some point, I think if there's no sign of, uh, of a shift coming in a positive direction, as Beijing views it, we'll probably see them, uh, you know, up the ante a, a little bit, because I think there's quite a lot of domestic, you know, certainly a lot of concerns about some huge challenges, but I think there's also a lot of confidence in where China stands in relative terms. And I don't think they'll just kind of sit by and be quiet in uh, you know these two big years that are coming up.
0: Well, on that happy note, thank you for making the annual MPC session on play and the 14 five-year plan entertaining and uh, I'm sure we'll have you back at at another point in the not too distant future to talk about uh, China and its relations with the external world including the U.S. So thanks very much, Andy. Thank you. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of In Focus, Make sure to subscribe wherever you listen, and be sure to subscribe to our other podcasts as well, such as The Global Insight, our fortnightly panel discussion exploring the impact of the most pressing issues on global business. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we are helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.